When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Football, presented by Rick Vavro and Austin Underground. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every morning by Bobby Burton and C.J. Vogel. And guys, what a whirlwind of a 24 hours. I mean, it it started with uh, Pete Carroll, then Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, and then, of course, thrown in there was Bo Davis. (laughs) I mean, just just wild, wild. What's y'all's thoughts now now that you've gotten to sleep on it about the last 24 hours? My thought is that there are macro implications and micro implications. Um, It runs the gamut uh, today. uh, That's for sure. Uh, You look at the, the situation right now, I think that, a lot of Texas fans, hey, is Steve Sarkeesian a candidate at Alabama or not? Uh, we cannot confirm either way at this point in time. Joel Klatt, a uh, Fox football analyst, put out a list yesterday that included Sark as a, at the top of his list uh, and then included uh, Dan Lanning and Kalen DeBoer. Klatt uh, said that he did not expect Sark to take the job. I wouldn't expect Sark to take the job either, but uh, hey, uh, you never know in this day and age what's going on, the discussions behind the scenes. Uh, I do know that uh, uh, Sark had a great time in Tuscaloosa, is very appreciative of his time in Tuscaloosa. I don't necessarily think that means he goes back to Tuscaloosa. Uh, that's number one. Nor am I sure that they're going to make a phone call to Sark A1. I mean, it could be other, other people involved here. Uh, it's a little early to be thinking that this is done, uh, right? Uh, so... There's that piece. Then you have the idea that Pete Carroll uh, was Sark's other main mentor in college football coaching. uh, And he is out in Seattle. And then I wake up this morning at 5.30 a.m. or 6 a.m. and Bill Belichick's gone. So truly the best college football coach of the last 15 years, the the best uh, NFL head coach of the last 20 years, and the best coach that's done it at both places, college and pro are all gone within a matter of 24 hours. That's that. That's just an amazing amount of uh, upset turmoil. Uh, Dan Quinn, I'm told, is the leader right now to get the Washington job. By the way, if you're a Cowboys fan, we'll see if that turns out. Uh, but Blake, you had the, the the prospects or the leaderboard, so to speak, from uh, – from other 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 uh, schools, or excuse me, from the uh, Las Vegas line yesterday. What is up with the Las Vegas line right now as it relates uh, to this coaching change at Alabama? Has Sark's name gone up the list? Is it still down the list? Because yesterday it was Dan Lanning, uh, Davo Sweeney, uh, and Kalen DeBoer as the top three. Uh, is Sark moved up that board? Is there still a board, or do they think they already have a guy? What, what's going on right now? So it appears as of about midnight last night, uh, Dan Lanning was 3-1. to one. However, I will say Oregon Insiders are very adamant that Lanning is not going anywhere. 
So remember that. Dabo Sweeney, four to one. Lane Kiffin, five to one. Deion Sanders, six to one. DeBoer, six to one. Pat Shermer, nine to one. Urban Meyer, 10 to one. Billy Napier, of all people, 14 to one. Derek Dooley, 14 to one. And Mike Norvell, 16 to one now. And he was up the list, you know, when that news first broke originally. Yeah, uh, Pat Shermer is an old. I, I first met Pat Shermer when he was an assistant at Michigan State with uh, under uh, Nick Saban. So that 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 goes back 25 years ago when I was running through uh, uh, different areas of recruiting. I went to go see T.J. Duckett on that trip. If I don't know if you remember him, but he was out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. I made a trip by the the Michigan State coach's office and met those guys. That, that's just crazy to me. Uh, Pat Shermer's an interesting name kind of coming up there. Uh, he would definitely have the pro background as part of his MO, which is one of the things that Saban brought to Alabama and made it very, very valuable. Yeah. So I, I do think it's interesting uh, that Norvell has fallen off. Had not seen any odds for Sarkeesian. So yep. that's obviously... I mean, you know, I mean, that's not the gospel, but it is good news for Texas fans because, I mean, oftentimes these odds are a good, you know, telltale of, of where everything is because people in Vegas are not stupid. They, they're they the ones that set the odds for a reason. Uh, so, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was actually kind of, you know, trying to get a feel for what Bama fans are wanting, and they do not want Dabo. And they were even chanting at last night, I believe, at uh, the Bama game, no Dabo, or, you know, we don't want Dabo. So I can't remember what the chant was, but it, it seems like the, they would not be happy there in Tuscaloosa if they got Dabo, at least from a fan perspective. Now, a lot a lot of people have been bringing up Lane Kiffin, and I kind of feel like that's a good match there. I mean, Lane obviously- He got fired. Saban fired him the week of a <laughs> national championship game. Do they not remember that? <laughs> hey, but he's fun on Twitter. Watched the national championship game in Boca Raton from a tilted kilt or whatever it's called. <laughs> I mean, that, that I don't know if people remember that. I I uh, I think Mike Norvell, Steve Sarkeesian, Kalen DeBoer, those are the names that people are going to look for uh, more so than than Lane Kiffin. I could be wrong. What's interesting is all of those guys, by the way offensive coaches whereas Nick Saban was a defensive coach so uh Dan Lanning is that defensive coach right that would fit that uh MO for Alabama uh so keep that in mind hey, a couple of you mentioned the fans one of the coolest things I saw yesterday when we were doing our live stream uh <laughs> Blake and, and CJ had to do with the Auburn fans and how they were reacting to the news that the goat was was retiring they they Toilet papered Tumor's Corner. That's their. That's how they usually celebrate victories at Auburn. Well, apparently this is a victory because you know the the <laughs> old man Scrooge is retired, <laughs> according to to Auburn. Uh, the the guy that cast the shadow over the Auburn uh, football program. Uh, look at that from last night. That's just crazy. That's awesome. That 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 really is. That 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 shows respect. Yet joy at the same time at news that happens elsewhere uh, at Auburn. Yeah, that's what, that's what makes college football great is stuff like that right there. There's no doubt about it. All right, guys. Well, you know, obviously we, we touched on Bo Davis very briefly. 
is it too early to hear anything? Have y'all heard anything? What What's the names, you know, that you think may come up for the Longhorns to replace Davis? There, uh, CJ, you go first. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly a fresh wound right now. I think Texas had it in their minds that Bo Davis was going to return for the 2024 season, uh, seemingly out of left field, as we've seen with a lot of these other uh, news drops over over the last 24 hours. Things can change pretty quickly in college football. Bo Davis opting to go to LSU, join the staff down there in Baton Rouge. Texas is now kind of in an evaluation uh, position right now. I think a, a very hot name is Freddie Roach out of Alabama. Um, that's a, a, who a lot of people are pointing to as a seamless transition down to Austin. Uh, there's a number of, of NFL caliber defensive line coaches out there as well. Um, the Ole Miss defensive line coach is one that's been tossed around on Twitter as well. Frank Oakham, a number of, of names with ties to Texas and NFL development on the defensive line. Sarkeesian has been, you know, very quick to find out who he wants to target for assistant coaching hires but he's not been very quick to have that news leak and get out to the public in that regard. So I'm sure he's on his short list of, of, you know, stringing together guys that he's hoping to get an interview with, or at least into the ear of, of hearing how interested they might be with Texas, but it might be a while before it gets out to uh, public consumption at the time being. Yeah. I, I, I've got names here that, that people will want to check out. I think he's also going to look at some guys on the West coast that he's familiar with. Uh, I would I would put a couple of names down here. Freddie Roach is certainly one of them. Uh, not only does he have SEC experience, uh, he has uh, a, a number of ties to some of the same players Texas has been recruiting uh, at defensive line. I think there's that's an important uh, situation there. There's also familiarity not only with uh, Steve Sarkeesian because they overlapped one year at Alabama, but also uh, with Kyle Flood and Jeff Banks as well. Uh, so there's that. A.J. Milwee was on that staff too. Uh, then there's other guys. Uh, Ed Orgeron is a name I'm going to throw out there. I know he's a former head coach at uh, at uh, LSU as well as Ole Miss, but he did grow up as an offensive line coach. Might be looking to get back into coaching. We'll see how that works out. Randall Joyner is the name at Ole Miss. He's had, got a lot of Texas ties. One of his big jobs was at SMU. Uh, he's a notable re young recruiter. Uh, we'll see if he actually... Uh, you know, follows through with that and becomes a great recruiter over time at a bigger program. And then you have two Longhorn exes, Frank Oak, uh, Frank Ocam uh, and Rod Wright. Uh, both have some NFL pedigree in them. Both played interior defensive line at the University of Texas. They're relatively young uh, comparatively to some other some of these other coaches. Uh, and then I want to add uh, one more, and that's Ryan Nielsen. Uh, he's the former defensive coordinator at the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, but that team, that that group just got blown up. He had he's from USC originally. Uh, might be a guy that Texas looks at as well. So uh, whether or not he wants to go back to pro, I don't know. But Nielsen at one point in time uh, recruited six NFL players to NC State. So let just let that resonate. Uh, interior defensive lineman to NC State over a three-year period. Uh, he was a recruiting witch of sorts. Uh, the likes of Tashard Choice, uh, essentially. Uh, going back to one thing that you mentioned, uh, CJ, was the surprise nature of Bo Davis's departure. He had told Texas that he was staying last week. Um, and so that's that. That's the whole issue here, whether it's 
the opportunity to coach his son potentially at LSU, which isn't necessarily going to happen, by the way. Uh, LSU uh, uh, getting around his buyout for him, uh, as well as an increase in pay, uh, could be a big piece of this or is a big piece of this as well. So a lot of things going on right now uh, in the uh, that that juncture. The question I have, and I think Texas fans should immediately have, is what does this do with Alex January at Duncanville, DeAndre Robinson at uh, Orlando Jones, as well as uh, as well as uh, Melvin Hills at Lafayette Acadiana, and the player they've been recruiting in the portal, Jamari Caldwell, out of the University of Houston. So all of that mixed together, what does this mean for Texas going forward with the defensive tackle spot? Because now, I mean, look, people have recruited better than Bo Davis. There's no chance, there's no doubt that there are better recruiters than Bo Davis. What Bo Davis focused on was developing what he had, and he did a nice job of that. There's absolutely no questioning that for NFL players in the last two years out of his defensive tackle rotation. All right, guys. Well, uh, plenty to talk about this morning. Plenty of time to get your questions in, so please do so. At 8.30, we're going to have David Farenthold, uh from the New York Times. He's going to be talking about NIL collectives and how it affects schools like Texas. And we also need to talk about Junior Day coming up. But before we do that, Bobby, I'm going to let you tell everybody out there about Rick Bobro and uh, Austin Underground. Yeah, absolutely. Since 2004, Austin Underground is specialized in difficult underground commercial installations for its customers. The team's engineering background gives Austin Underground the ability to perform work other firms often consider just too risky. Rick and his team offer an end-to-end -end client experience, including seamless communication, budgeting, staffing, and top-notch trade partners. And most importantly, they produce solid quality work each and every time. That's Austin Underground, Rick Vavro and his team. Also, they own Texas Road. So if you're looking for road service uh, for private or public uh, installations, uh, give Rick and his team a call at Austin Underground or Texas Road. I want to thank them for sponsoring each and every Thursday right here on Ox Football. And I mentioned Junior Day, which is now nine days away. It takes, uh, takes place on January 20th. What's the latest that y'all are hearing there? This list on my end at least just eclipsed 50 top prospects from the 2025 and 2026 classes. And this is before, you know, getting with Bobby and his list and some of the names that have, or I guess were added very late last night as well. So uh, overall, I mean, a tremendous haul coming in. We talked about it being a special afternoon on the 40 acres in terms of Texas being able to capitalize on their, their uh, postseason run, uh, their top three finish in the entire entire country. Now Texas is getting a head start in the 2025 and a little bit of the 2026 classes as well. This is a time for them to really start getting this ball moving. Uh, as we've talked about, I, I'm looking at it now, a very talented slew of 2026 running backs. The entire 2025 target share of offensive linemen for my money's worth will be coming in uh, to, to campus as well. There is a very impressive list, and we've talked about the linebackers, Elijah Bo Barnes, Riley Pettijon, Jonah Williams, a very talented group right there, and obviously Anthony Williams, the, the Texas 2025 commit from Shadow Creek, scheduled to be on campus as well. It, it's shaping up to be a tremendous weekend, and one of the largest that I've seen from a Texas uh, Sar Steve Sarkeesian event early on in the year. 
I, I want to add this. So what are the expectations on, on that junior day? Somebody might ask. Well, here's, here's a couple things to consider. Texas actually plays Baylor in basketball at 11 a.m. You can bet those guys, some of those players will make their way over to the Baylor basketball game for a half or so. They probably won't go the entire time. Okay. So that may be part of the part of the uh, the the uh, festivities, so to speak. They'll also be showing up relatively early in the morning and then kind of sporadically throughout the day. Uh, that that's another uh, piece of what's going to happen on the 40 acres. Some guys will come in on Friday. Some guys will stay Friday and Saturday. Some will stay Saturday and Sunday uh, because Sark will try to load this weekend up. And it'll be even though we're saying January 20th is the junior day. That's not what reality will look like for the head football coach at the University of Texas. There will be a number of guys coming in early, staying late, et cetera. It'll be a three-day kind of uh, a big thing. I, I do want to mention this uh, while we're uh, at the outset here. Uh, one other piece of information as it relates to recruiting. Tomorrow, the coaches get out on the road. They're back out on the road tomorrow. Tomorrow is their annual Central Texas Day, is my understanding. Uh, and what does that mean? Uh, last year, Sark started doing this. First day out, he went to sent all the Central Texas schools from Waco High, Waco University, all the way down to Cibolo Steel, uh, Brandeis, uh, Smithson Valley, et cetera. So tomorrow, it's my understanding that all of the coaches uh, um, will be out in Central Texas, kind of canvassing Central Texas. So Temple, uh, Cop Cove, Belton, all that group. Uh, down into Austin Westlake, Lake Travis, LBJ, uh, et cetera, uh, all the way down into San Antonio area. So that's they're back on the road tomorrow recruiting for 2025s. A uh, couple of schools that I think they're for sure going to get by are Waco, uh, Connolly, uh, and Cibolo Steel, uh, based on just uh, sheer numbers in, in the area. Those, those would be for sure. Westlake, et cetera, going to get visits as well. Hey, good question here, guys, from Ryan from Shiner. He says, will Stark add a recruiter temporarily or just go without Bo? Um, I, I, that is a good question. Could Brandon Harris, who Brandon Harris has been activated before. He's the off-campus uh, off, uh, recruiting guy. Uh, he's been activated before. He could go on the road. I'm not sure if he will, though. Um, that's, that's a question that uh, we'll probably find out tomorrow. If Sark is on the road, I don't necessarily expect Brandon Harris uh, to be on the road as well, though. Okay, y'all. Well, I think our special guest for today is ready, so I'm going to go ahead and bring him on in. This is New York Times columnist David Farenthold. And David, how you doing this morning? I'm fine. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you got your coffee there. That's the way to do it, David. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, so you're a Houston native, is that correct? That's uh, right. I went, I went to Memorial High School in Houston. Okay, gotcha. You ended up going to Harvard for school, but you said you're a self-professed Longhorn fan at heart. Is that That's right? Yeah, my parents went to UT, uh, and I grew up. I mean, you guys know you have to choose a side really early, so I I was a UT fan uh, all growing up. Uh, some which some of those were pretty lean years, uh, yeah. but I was a UT fan all growing up. Uh, so yes, that they were my team. They've been my team forever. I gotcha. Well, hey, David, thanks for joining us. You wrote a piece and and did a podcast that I listened to actually um, uh, about the NIL collective space. And it was really interesting. And if people haven't uh, read it or listened to it, I suggest they do because it had a lot of background about 
where all of this came from. And you gave a lot of time to an organization called Horns with Heart, uh, which created the Pancake Factory, which you think precipitated a lot of copycats around the country. Yeah, that's right. I bet they were one of the first people to see, you know, in the in 2021, late 2021, when NIL was just a thing and people hadn't really figured out how it could be used yet. They were among the first to see, hey, yeah, this system is set up for people to, you know, for Gatorade to pay for people's endorsements. But it doesn't have to be just Gatorade. Like you know, if we're a group of fans and we want to pay players, you know, because we like them, you know, nobody's going to stop us from doing that. And so we're, let's use this as a way to explicitly tell people, hey, you come to Texas, you can get paid something and make the team better. Um, yeah, they were the first to do it, and everybody was kind of aghast at the time. But now, you know, there's hundreds of groups doing the same thing all around the country. Uh, you you say that. What are some of the? I, I listened to your your piece, and I think it was tremendous because it. I felt like it was fair. Like some people come out, an investigative reporter often you know, people in in the outside the media think, oh, they're poking, they're looking for something. Yeah, and you are. That's that's your job, right? Is to look for things. But it came off to me as very fair because it was not only talking about the positives that, that have come out of NIL, but the negatives that have come out of it. Uh, yeah. And I, I thought that the, the piece as a whole was interesting. What were your key finding, findings, in your opinion? I would say a couple of things. First, just you know, in a way that to the casual fan or even the sort of less, less casual fan, NIL has just changed the way that players are recruited, the way they're retained. It's created, you know, and there's good parts and bad parts of this. It's created basically like a, a free agent market for college athletes, well, at least for, for college football players. And but not like a free agent market like you and I would think of as in the pros. It's a it's basically an unregulated one because in theory, this reg, this free agent market doesn't exist. But that I mean, the NCAA still says, hey, you can't pay players to play their sport uh, and you can't play, pay players to come to your team. But that's the reason these collectives exist is to pay players who have value to their team. So they'll stay on, you know, they'll come to your school and they'll stay on the team that you like. So, you know, the players are out there. So we talked about the good and the bad of this. The good of this is the players are getting paid and in a way that's legal. Um, and so all these guys who their labor has created this giant industry that makes so much money for so many other people. I mean, uh, Jimbo Fisher is the most latest example of people who get, you know, there's so much money in this industry. And but it's been diverted from the people whose labor and bodies are the ones that make this. So those players are getting paid now. The downside of this, I would say, put it in two categories mainly. One is that the players are having to navigate this kind of unregulated black market where there's really no way you know, the way that if I was a pro second baseman and you know or a pro quarterback I know enough about what other people are paid to know what I might be able to get uh, I mean for draft picks in the NFL it's almost down to a science you really know you're going fourth this is what a fourth round draft or you know fourth pick gets for these players in college there's almost none of that the, the collectives there's no repository of this information everybody lies nobody tells the truth about it it's so hard as a reporter, just to find out even the most basic details of what people get paid. So imagine you're like an 18-year-old or 20-year-old trying to navigate that. It's so hard to know what you're worth. That's one downside of it. And so people can sometimes sign for a lot less than they deserve. The other downside is that you're, the the system is has a, has a lot of it, and the Texas uh, Collective is one of them, that basically has been built on the backs of these nonprofits, tax-exempt nonprofits. That's how I got into this. I cover nonprofits. And they're using nonprofits in a way that, yes, it benefits the players, is really not the, the way that nonprofits are supposed to be used. Like, it's not really a charity to pay a linebacker, even if the linebacker is glad to have the money and could use it. That's not what charity is for. 
And so there's the whole thing is now kind of on this shaky legal ground because they've done it through these charities and the IRS, which regulates charities, is starting to it has actually come out and said, hey, this isn't the way you're supposed to do it. And so the, an enforcement effort by them could destabilize the whole thing. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey, Wait, David, Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, you did a deep dive into NIL and to collectives. I mean, you know, you didn't just look at Texas. You looked at programs around the country. What would you say really surprised you the most when you started digging into all of this? I would say a couple of things. One would just be the extent of it. Like, you know, I, I knew that these things existed at Texas and Ohio State and Alabama and other places, but, they, you know, they're everywhere. They're even at some really small schools. Um and I would say the second thing that surprised me is just the way that like changing this one little piece of college sports is just there's been a domino effect that's, that's changing so much else. I mean, it, it's so hard to stop the change at this. OK, we're going to pay players and that's it. We're not going to change anything else. That, that position is untenable. And so the, to watch the sort of cascading effects. OK, well, if you can pay players, why can't the schools play players? And if, if the schools can pay players, which is what the NCAA has proposed, well, you know, how do we stop that from creating sort of a system of super teams where there's basically 30 teams that play in kind of a miniature NFL? And if I'm Rice or Vanderbilt or, you know, Minnesota, pick your, you know, a big time team that's not going to be in that biggest, that super league. You know, what happens to those schools? How, do they, how does that change them? So I was surprised at the degree to which this one change is causing all these sort of cascading effects across college, college sports. David, I was going to, I was sticking on that, that kind of topic of which schools kind of kept, you know, the big bucks churning as we've seen NIL, you know, collectives pop up at seemingly each university that competes at the power five level. Has there been a surprise in which, you know, which universities have been able to be as active as they were or are currently in, you know, kind of the recruiting or portal aspect of this? Or or have you thought it would be kind of more of the big dogs, you know, the the Texas's, the Ohio States, you know, the, the Alabama's or Georgia's coming in and, and really being able to money whip whoever would be, you know, standing in their way? You're right that it, it mainly is a way of like solidifying people who are already there. Like, I don't think you could really point to anybody in this college football playoff or even in the upper upper echelons of college football this year and say, oh, yeah, those people are, you know, they they rocketed out of obscurity thanks to NIL. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of other factors at play. It, you know, it's still, you know, you're probably not going to go to Vanderbilt over Alabama, even if Vanderbilt pays you a lot. Um, <laughs> but, there, but there have been, I think there, there's a couple of schools that are sort of like in the middle range that are at least trying to make a big spend and go up. I mean, I would count, um, I would count SMU as one of those. They spent, I mean, ironically, SMU where, you know, it was so stung by this experience in the 80s. They have really tried to, to level up. Ole Miss is another one. Um, and I don't know if they're going to get there. Um, I mean, A&M to a degree, A&M, they have a lot going on at A&M, obviously, but they have tried to build the collective that can help them level up. Um, so I think there are some schools who sort of feel like they would be, you know, if you rank the, the top 30 programs, they're like in the bottom of that top um, that are trying to move up with it. But you haven't really seen it yet. I mean, in this college football playoff, we looked at the collectives behind all four of the teams. 
you know, Texas has a real powerhouse, obviously. Michigan has a real powerhouse. Alabama's was like completely secretive. But, you know, we figured out that they even the board members of the collective claim not to know how it works. So I don't really know what's going on there, but I'm sure there's a lot of money. Uh, and then Washington's was the one that was sort of at the lower end. But even they had raised a lot of money and used it very strategically to keep, you know, the set of guys, Roma Dunze, uh, Michael Penix, the guys who were sort of at the core of that team, keep them there and to keep some of those guys from graduating last year. So it's, you know, I, I think the main overall impact of this is going to be to sort of separate the haves and have nots further, perhaps so far that the have nots are like never going to be, you know, they're going to be out of it permanently. You mentioned not utilizing uh, the nonprofit correctly, um, but they've been approved. If, if, if I'm not mistaken, they've actually, these nonprofits have actually been approved by the IRS. And so they would have to go back and retroactively disapprove of them. Um, right. What is the next step in that regard from the IRS? Did you get in your reporting? Did you get any sense of where this was, where this was headed, or is it kind of just nebulous right now and nobody really knows? Bobby, you make a really good point about the about these groups, Texas One Fund, and these other groups that are now sort of on the crosshairs of the IRS. They applied to the IRS. They told, in, in general, they told the truth. Some of them seem to fudge a little bit on their numbers, but most of them told the truth to the IRS about what they were going to do. And the IRS. You know, they have to affirmatively say, yes, you're a 501c3, you're tax exempt, you can come in. I should say that process is extremely lax. It's one of the things that all of us who deal with the IRS on our personal taxes wouldn't be, would be surprised by, but their regulation of nonprofits is extremely lax. I wrote a story last year about a guy basically who ran the dumbest scam possible. He just claimed to be the United Way of a whole bunch of different cities and like from all from one mailbox in Staten Island. Like he would send in applications to the IRS saying, I'm the, I'm the uh, United Way of Austin and Dallas and Minneapolis and Los Angeles, all from a, a PO box in Staten Island. And the, the IRS let him do that. Oh, he also claimed to be the American Heart Association of those places. Anyway, so they, the IRS let these groups in. And so if you're Texas One Fund, that's what you say is like, hey, you told us this was okay. And I have the letter you gave me saying it's okay. So that's right. The, the IRS would have to come back to them and say, hey, you know, we're going to audit you and see if you are, you know, it, we put out a memo in May of 20, 2023 saying this is what a taxism collective ought to be after you had already you were already approved. We're going to audit you to see if you're in compliance with that. That process would take a long time and it's not guaranteed. They don't have a lot of people. So it would take a while for them to get to everybody. So it's not something where they either they have to fear getting shut down now. But if you think this is a long term business, it's going to be a problem in the long term, three or four years down the road. Got it. I, I also talk, took one other thing. You said the downside risks. Uh, one, of, one of the things I've talked to college coaches around the country, not just uh, Texas, but around the country. I've been doing this for 30 years, so I've got some background kind of like you do. The one thing that they say uh, that is a downside is they have guys that represent themselves as agents of these players who, I mean, look, some of them are 22 years old and were in college last year. Yeah. And they, they probably had a sociology class with the guy they're representing. Yeah. Right. And, and they say that it's just a kludge because there's no, no, like we don't even know who we're really dealing with. Right. So if it's not the player or the player's parents. It's like crazy. Um, totally. Because, they could look. They could do a Google search on somebody, and literally, the guys. The guy shows up at a kegger the night before, you know, doing a kickstand at the at the KA house, you know. <laughs> and so they're like, "What what's going on here?" That's another downside to me is player representation being unmodeled. 
or unregulated. You're absolutely right. And I, if you're a coach, that but I talked about the downside for players that this is so unregulated and there's basically no rules. Um, that's the downside for coaches. I mean, it, well, there's a lot of downsides for coaches. A, their people can leave every year, and you have to, and you have to deal with a third party that has the money that has to pay them. But you're right that like you know, there's no regulation of these agents, or there's very little, and you know, there's so there's no standardized contracts. All the things you would take for granted in a pro market. That like, you know, that, yeah. you know, the, the team represents themselves, the agents are registered, you know who everybody is and everybody has a sort of a sense of responsibility to the system. Yeah, you're right. That doesn't exist because these agents, either they could be not really an agent or they could not have a contract or they could be, think about maybe they're working, in, not working in the player's best interest, right? What if you think this guy's out to screw the player? You know, there's, there's so little rules that you can kind of do whatever you want. I had one guy tell me that they had uh, four different people approach him saying that they were a person's agent. So, I mean, that's the kind of chaos that an unregulated market can create. And these teams are having to, uh, you know, navigate that process, whether whether right or wrong. Uh, speaking, how do you say your last name correctly, David? Because it's a little difficult. Uh, Ferenthold. Ferenthold. Okay. David Ferenthold, uh, Memorial High School graduate uh, in the city of Houston, uh, then went on to Harvard. But he says he's been a Longhorn fan forever. Both his parents went to UT. Uh, with the New York Times. We've had about a couple of hundred people join us. Uh, so I want to reintroduce you, David. Thank you okay. for joining us today. Uh, CJ, Blake, you guys have any 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 further questions for David? I got one last question, David, for you. And my, my question is, where do you think this all ends up? Do you think we stay status quo or do you think the model evolves? Do you think we eventually blow it up and do the NCAA proposal of the schools paying players? I mean, in your opinion, after everything you've seen, where where are we at in five years from now? If I had to guess, I would guess that it's the model somehow. I don't know if exactly what Charlie, the NCAA proposed, but I would guess it's somehow that the schools are going to be paying the players. Um, just because, you know, with, there's so many moving parts in this system. There's, you know, the collectives have the money. We talked about the agents. There's so many, like, sort of weird parts of this. And also, we didn't talk about this, but one of the big concerns besides the IRS for the long-term health of the current system is whether people are going to continue donating. You know, or, or you know, if you're... Like, say, for instance, you're a donor at Michigan State, right? Michigan State has this horrific season. Are you going to give next year, right? Is, are, you know, is that donor donor base going to keep coming back year after year? So I do think we'll get to a situation where the schools pay the players. Um, but then, you know, the big question and all that is Title IX, right? If, if you're going to go to a situation where Texas wants to start paying football players directly, it's bound by Title IX to pay women's athletes or give them sort of equal opportunities. And so that raises the overall price tag of doing this. So it's a level that only a few schools can do. But I, I think that's the only way it makes sense in the long term is for it to go in-house at these schools. And, but then you set off all these divisions I talked about where it, it separates college sports into something that's pretty different, at least in, in high-level college football, than it is now. Man, David, I, I, I've just got one last quick one. And, and thank you for joining because this has been very insightful. Um, I, I wanted to ask about financial literacy and kind of the approach some of these universities have taken to – you know, protect their kids, their student yeah, yeah. athletes. It, have you found that most schools, you know, I would hope have something in place there to, you know, kind of educate, you know, not only their student athletes, but the families of the student athletes that are receiving what would be, you know, pretty considerable lump sums of, of money to, to play and perform for said universities? It really varies. I have to say Baylor does a really good job with this. Baylor has a good program teaching financial literacy. Other schools do it. Um, but there, it, there's other places where it doesn't happen at all. And you see the consequences, right? There was just a lawsuit filed. I forget the school where somebody, a, a, a player signed an NIL contract that bound himself to pay 
some huge portion of his future NFL earnings to the people who were giving him. And it wasn't with a collective. It was with some other entity. So basically it was like a payday loan on his, you know, so when he got to the NFL, he has this huge debt he has to pay. And obviously nobody would have signed that if they understood what they were signing. So I, I think you're right. That is something that some schools do, but given the amount of money and the, the sort of lack of standardization in this market, it's not like there's a standard NIL contract you can just get. Everybody's kind of making it up on their own. So it's even more important to be financially literate, to understand, you know, you can't take for granted that what you're being given is useful or good. Um, it's something that schools don't do enough of, certainly. Wow. Overall, do you think NIL is a good thing? I mean, the the player, and, and here's my yeah. my on this. Do the payers do the players deserve to be paid yeah. more than just a scholarship when it comes to major college football? So, I mean, that's the ultimate question for me. No, no, I, and I, I, that's what makes this story so interesting to me is the sort of the moral complexity of this. Like, yes, people seem to be breaking NCAA rules. Yes, they seem to be, maybe they're violating the IRS rules. Yes, there's so much you know lack of transparency and confusion. But yeah, players are getting paid in a way that's commensurate with the not commensurate, but it's closer to what the huge amount of money that they're making for other people. And I think you can't look at that and say that's unjust or even practically we can put that genie back in the bottle, right? That there's some way to stop this or, you know, put, you know, to return to the days when players just got a scholarship and that was it. Got David, thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Good work on, on that stuff. Uh, let us know if there's anything going on and uh, we appreciate your time, bud. I will, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, hey, hey. David, hook them, buddy. Welcome. Thank you, David. That was awesome. <laughs> Have a good one. That's good. Right. David Ferenthal, New York Times. I did put the uh, the link to his story in the chat for those that are interested. You can also find his podcast that we discussed on YouTube as well. Obviously, check it out after coffee and football. But uh, <laughs> hey, uh, I, I got a couple of news and notes I need to get to uh, Blake that I didn't share in the open. Uh, Silas Bolden and Kendrick Blackshear both expected to come in this weekend. I'm told that Bolden, uh, there was a question whether or not he would be a midterm guy or a, uh, or come in in May. My understanding is that he would be a May grad and come in in May for Texas. So not a midterm guy that's there for spring spring ball. We'll see if that all falls out. Uh, I had not heard exactly what, was, what would go on yet with Kendrick Blackshire, the linebacker out of Alabama, by way of Duncanville High School in that regard. Uh, and uh, Texas still waiting on Jamari Caldwell, defensive lineman out of the University of Houston. C.J. Daniels, the wide receiver uh, out of uh, Liberty. Texas uh, thinking that they're in good shape both places, but obviously Bo Davis's departure may throw a wrench in the plans of Jamari Caldwell. C.J. Daniels still looking at other schools or contemplating Texas uh, versus Auburn. One thing I was told yesterday, there were four portal transfer receivers on an official visit at Auburn the same time as C.J. Daniels. Just mm. keep that in mind. He's one of many for them, whereas Texas is kind of uh, – this is the difference between Texas and other places right now. It's not a throw spaghetti against the wall for Texas. All right? It's strategic, point by point. This guy fits. This guy doesn't. I mean, as of right now, Texas has visited five guys in the portal. Three of them have committed to Texas. The other two are still uncommitted. So think of it. Think of it that way. Uh, that's that's important to, to note for the Longhorns. Wow. Hey, we've had a uh, while. David was joining us. Apparently, some of the Bama insiders are now saying it's not going to be Lanning or Kiffin as of last night. 
you know, that's where they were thinking that was heading. So it's important to note that may not be either one of those fellas. Well, we'll see. I mean, they may want somebody with more, uh, more experience as a head coach. Lanning does not have much experience as a head coach. Um, uh, so you can, you can think that Kiffin, like I said, I think he went out the wrong way at Alabama, even though he's proven himself to be a valuable head coach at Ole Miss. Uh, Pat Shermer's inclusion on that list is striking to me. That smells like if Nick Saban is going to hire somebody and Nick Saban is going to have a say, Pat Shermer would be on that list. I'll just put it that way. Uh, yeah, that, that, that one does smell a little funky looking at the rest of the list there. Yeah, everybody else is a Mike Norvell or uh, Steve Sarkeesian or guys that have higher profiles. Uh, 24 hours ago, nobody was thinking Pat Shermer, except for maybe a guy named Nick Saban. And if you're, I'll, I'll tell you what, Texas made a mistake back when they didn't let Daryl Royal decide his his successor, in my opinion. That, that started getting the BBs all out of the box. Alabama would do worse than to allow Nick Saban to choose his successor. Yeah. I'll put it that way. He knows what's needed at that place. And Shermer, by the way, with 21 seasons of NFL experience, with, uh, with uh, 11 of those being a head coach or offensive coordinator. So he knows the ins and outs. No, he's a good football coach. He just didn't have a good situation in the pros. Um, and like I said, he also was a good recruiter in college. I mean, he, he's got a – that's an interesting addition to the name – to the list of names. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. That smells to, – to CJ's point, that smells like Nick Saban's fingers are in this pie. <laughs> and they should be, right? They should be in, in this. Okay, y'all, well, we got time for questions, so please get your questions in. But, Bobby, before we get to those questions, I'm going to let folks out there know about Manscaped. And cheers to the new year from our friends at Manscaped, because your resolutions shouldn't be the only things that are well kept. 2024 is the time for new heights, new opportunities, and a new look for your Times Square balls. Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra is every man's cheat code to look good, feel good, and turn the page on confidence this year. Whether you're looking to maintain a trim or go for that clean-shaven look, this trimmer has you covered. It's trusted by over 10 million men worldwide, and now is your time to get a grip on your grooming with our exclusive offer. Just go to manscaped.com and use code ONTEXAS for 20% off plus free shipping. Happy New Year or Happy New Balls. And introducing the MVP of 2024, Manscaped's fifth generation lawnmower. It's not just a trimmer, it's your grooming sidekick. Equipped with two skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. It's like having a personal stylist at your fingertips or, well, wherever you need it. And did I mention it's waterproof, fellas, because a trim in the shower is the only way to start the day. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code ONTEXAS at manscaped.com because nothing says Happy New Year like a deal that leaves your balls and your budget feeling refreshed. Embrace the new you and definitely embrace a new trimmer courtesy of Manscaped. Got the lawnmower right here, Bobby. <laughs> oh. Nothing today, huh? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, no. 
<laughs> no, nope. we've been doing those commercials for months now, and you, your reactions still always bring a smile to my face. I can't believe. I mean, it's just it is one of those things, man. It's, it a staple. It's, it's a staple of coffee and football now. Yes, it is. Hey, uh, one other thing I forgot to mention uh, at the outset, CJ and Blake, uh, Jade Barron has still not made a decision or an announcement. Um, David Benda announced he's coming back uh, two days ago uh, now or a day and a half ago. It feels like it's been a week since he announced and it's probably been 24 hours, right? Um, we're waiting on uh, the decision of Jade Barron. Uh talking with Rod about that, 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 and UCJ, that could just be so crucial to the Texas back end um, and really uh, allow them to focus so many of their efforts on finding guys up front in the portal. Um, if, if Barron comes back, it just gives them so much versatility that it, it allows them to, to not worry as much and kind of laser focus on that front seven uh, in the portal. You agree with that? Yeah, hundred percent. The, the, if Baron does return, like you said, the versatility and opportunities for Texas to, uh, to mix and match and plug and play really two extremely experienced and veteran and productive, uh, defensive backs back there. It eases up the entire secondary in a sense that Texas doesn't necessarily have to worry about who's back there. Makuba and Jada Baron specifically, in that secondary together, it, it helps that secondary. And in, in my opinion, it will, you know, allow them to reach a, a ceiling in which we wouldn't have thought necessarily possible with the 2023 group as a result of their on-field production and experience prior, uh, as well as the experience that, or the versatility that, that you've mentioned to kind of move around in a number of different uh, ways due to, how, you know, how they've been used throughout their career already. All right, Joel, we have a uh, super chat here from Stephen Shell, And Stephen says, Bobby, I'm 60 and I've been using Manscaped for 10 plus years. He probably has the lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, courtesy of Manscaped. Promo code on Texas. That's uh, right. Yeah. 20% off. Um, no, I, look, I don't know what to tell you other than <laughs> not me. I, <laughs> what else to say, guys? Oh, uh, we, we've had this question uh, for the past couple of days. We just haven't had a chance to get to it. James Henson says, what's happening with offensive tackle Peyton Kirkland out of Florida? Have you heard anything there? Yeah, he's been injured. Yep. Um, he was injured the last half of the season, so he didn't get much rep, didn't get many reps even in the Sugar Bowl practice, if at all. Uh, so that's been a problem uh, for Peyton uh, and his upkeep. I will say this. I mean, look, Jaden Chapman and – and uh, Trevor Gooseby continue to be the two names that I hear most uh, about, about the young offensive lineman followed then by Connor Stroh and Andre Kojo. Uh, Kirkland's injury has put him behind in the weight room and elsewhere a little bit, um, but we'll see what happens in the spring. Uh, this is a big spring for all of those young offensive linemen. Uh, each and every spring really is for those guys because anything that interrupts uh, your – uh, what I would call your your growth or your development can put you behind a little bit. Cole Hudson's injury did that to him a little bit, right? Uh, he had to rehab from a shoulder. Um, and so that put him a little bit behind DJ Campbell and uh, Hayden Connor. Um, and so be, being healthy and remaining healthy is a huge piece 
of that ongoing development that you want to see out of offensive linemen. You want to see that linear development with offensive linemen from their body and, and how much stronger they get. Yeah, I think that, that injury is impacting the body with Kirkland specifically the most there. There was a lot of trimming and reshaping that needed to occur there as well. A foot injury uh, makes things a little bit more difficult, and which is unfortunate because he did see some time, especially in the spring game with that second unit. Uh, towards the end of spring last year, he was quick to get on campus, quick to adjust. It's not great in sense of continuing that momentum when you're stricken by a foot. So hopefully, you know, this this upcoming spring session will be one where you can start to see some some steps taken back in the right direction for Peyton Kirkland. I saw another question that I didn't get to yesterday that's been asked today is from Rob Hadaway. And he says, I know it might be too soon to know, but for planning a trip down to Austin, when will the team announce the date for the spring game? I Googled earlier. I couldn't find one, but Bobby, do you have any insight on that? My insight would be that I think it's going to be either April 13th or April 20th. That's my insight. And, um, when, when does the, 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 the reason I say that it's right around tax day every year is right on, I think it was April 15th last year. Um, and that kind of, those two windows kind of, uh, 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 surround April 15th this year. The question I have is whether or not Sark does anything different based on the new NCA portal open at a different time frame. Doesn't the portal open earlier this year in April instead of May 1, CJ? I think it does. And so does that mean Sark amps it up a week or does he delay it a week? I don't know the answer. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see what he what he decides. Uh, but those are the that that mid-April time frame is what he's done the last uh, last two years. Uh, we got a lot of questions um, specifically about Bo Davis and the vacant position. So let's take some of those. Ronnie says, do you expect Texas to have the defensive tackle situation solved by junior day? I don't know. It'd be nice if they did. (laughs) Yeah, it would be nice if they did, but it's not. Look, Sark doesn't rush things, guys. He just, it's not his MO. Now, if he knows Freddie Roach and he wants Freddie Roach, then I think that that could get done quickly, right? Um, if it's not Freddie Roach and it's somebody else and he wants to go through a, an interview process of people that he doesn't really know well, then it could take longer. Like he doesn't know Frank Oakham and Rod Wright very well. We as fans do, or as former uh, media members, whatever, around the team know those guys much better than Steve Sarkeesian does. He shook their hand probably once or twice, you know? He doesn't know that Rod Wright went to Hastings High School and, uh, you know, Frank Oakham went to Lake Highlands. I mean, he, he he hasn't experienced that that level with those guys, whereas with Freddie Roach, he's been in the building every day with him for a year. He knows who that guy is, right? So if you don't know who that guy is, I think it's a longer process to, to figure it out. I think that's what that's the process that took him to Chris Jackson. He didn't know Chris Jackson that well. But over time, he he took it. So uh, I don't know that there's going to be a quick turnaround. I guess we'll see. Hey, guys. Uh, got some new odds here on Sark being the Bama head coach. 35 to 1. That's what they would cons- they would classify as a long shot. So yes. 
For Texas's sake, I, I would take that as a pretty good sign. Obviously, a lot yet to go. And, you know, the, the early reports of Dan Lanning kind of teetering out right now, maybe, uh, you know, not necessarily the best news at the moment. But, hey, long way to go there. But for now, 35-1 to 1 is great in terms of Texas's chances at obviously keeping Steve Sarkeesian. Read, read back the odds overall uh, of, of them all for Bama, uh, uh, Blake, if you would. All righty. Hang on here. Let me get these most updated ones real quick. All right. We got Dan Lanning as the clear-cut favorite. He's now negative uh, 300. Lane Kiffin is plus 700, so 7 to 1. So, this is interesting. It just refreshed. And Sark's odds just went up to eight to one. That and that was, I mean, like just now, just went up to eight to one. Who's My that? Who's that from? What? What? Uh, what company is that? Uh, this is going to be from SportsBetting.ag. All right, that's those are short now. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was thirty five to one as of this morning, and then within the past couple of minutes, just went up to eight to one. As I said, Kiffin is seven to one, so they have Sark as the third favorite person to go. Mike Norvell is now ten to one. Kalen DeBoer fourteen to one. Kurt Signetti fourteen uh, fourteen to one. Dabo is now sixteen to one. If you remember Dabo this morning was the third favorite or second favorite. Bob Stoops of all people is 16 to 1. Pat Shermer 20 to 1. Urban Meyer 20 to 1. Billy Napier 25 to 1. Derek Dooley 25 to 1. Uh D'Amico Ryan's 25 to 1. Sharon Moore 30 to 1. Deion Sanders 33 to 1. James Franklin 33 to 1. Glenn Schumann 33 to 1. And last but not least, Ryan Day 40 to 1. Wow, things heating wow. up. But but Dan Lanning still the favorite according to them. Next so side. Dan Lanning. So basically, Dan Lanning is is negative three hundred. Lane Kiffin plus seven hundred. Sark plus eight hundred. Uh oh. That seems like the three kind of flattening out there, guys. Should be an interesting 24, 48 hours <laughs> tracking flights, uh, et cetera. Uh, I'm sure that's going to happen. One thing I could say, Lanning, Lane Kiffin, and Steve Sarkeesian, and Kalen DeBoer, they all share the same agent, Jimmy Sexton. So remember that. Jimmy Sexton's son, by the way, played golf at the University of Texas. I don't know if a lot of people know that or not. Uh, but his dad, his son was on the UT golf team. Uh, this is a this is kind of movement that that, that makes you a little concerned. Uh, we'll see what happens though. Uh, Texas and Steve Sarkeesian expected to work out a, a contract extension over the next uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, it was uh, in the works as of the day after the Sugar Bowl. Uh, it was actually in the works prior to the Sugar Bowl, but they didn't want to talk about it or deal with it. We'll see what that means for the Longhorns going forward. You're, you're, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry about that, Bobby. I was refreshing those and trying to get some more from many other places to see if they agreed with those. So, all right, well, let's take some questions because now I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions <laughs> regarding that. Uh, 
But let's talk about Bo Davis some more because we never got to finish with that. Rob Enfield says, did Bo Davis slow down his recruiting prior to going to LSU? Um, I don't know that he slowed down his recruiting. Bo's, Bo's a professional. So let's, let's talk about that. Jamari Caldwell situation gives me pause. Um, and I'll, I'll say why. And, you know, on Monday, he was on the cusp of committing to Texas. Okay. Tuesday didn't really hear much. Wednesday didn't really hear much. Wednesday afternoon, Bo Davis to the to the to LSU. So I, I'm not saying there's subterfuge here or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. But you know, for some reason, uh, there was not as much communication there. Perhaps that was uh for Bo Davis to, to do his thing. Uh so I don't know that he slowed down recruiting. They couldn't be on the road anyways, guys. So it's not like he stopped going to, to school visits or et cetera. And then this next question here is a super chat. Uh, and it's from Edmund Lee. Thank you, Edmund. We appreciate it. He says, great effort and follow-up uh, team from team on Texas football. This 2024 with all the recruitings and now the coaching carousels is tough to shift through the truth versus the rumors. Blake, any odds on which coach goes next? Keep up the excellent work. I'll have to look and see what they think may be the next domino to fall. I would say Jim Harbaugh would probably be the favorite on that in the collegiate ranks. Do you all agree? Uh, like right now, they're not firing coaches. I guess they're uh, at least in, college, in pro football, they're firing them. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> right. That's the end of the season. Yada, yada, yada. College football, they've kind of made their bed. Like Billy Napier's not fired. Right. At Florida. He's still got a couple. He's still got this football season. It looks like they he made through the rough patch. So college football, it'll be guys that are taking going from college football jobs to the pros, or in this really unique situation with Nick Saban, a retirement, right? That's kind of out of the out of the blue a little bit. That causes this kind of I, I called it yesterday. It was an earthquake in college football because the amount of different things it affected could be just untold. You don't know. I mean, this is just one domino and it's such a big, big time school that, you know, there are going to be a lot of big time coaches that are, get approached about this. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Okay. And thank you again, Edmund, for the super chat. We really appreciate that. Uh, this next question here is from... R.J. Yarbrough. And R.J. says, Bobby, does Bo leaving affect Collins coming back or the recent signees trying to leave? So I've got notes out to Alex January's uh, camp, uh, DeAndre Robinson's camp, as well as Melvin Hills. So that those are the signees. Uh, we're waiting to hear from Brandon Brown, the 2025 commitment from Ogali, Florida. Um, and then we're also... Uh, waiting. I, I don't think, however, and I have heard that it does not affect Alfred Collins's return. So don't worry about Alfred Collins is what I'm told. But the other guys, we're trying to get information right now. As of right now, we, we've got nothing on that. And they're, we're going to wait for them to actually say something. And that, that's, that seems fair to me. These, these young men have been put in a, a difficult situation. In yes. my opinion. Yes. Definitely. Just a crazy. Especially no a week way. after he said he was staying and told people internally he's staying. Right. So 
there's a little bit of that going on. And then uh, this next question, guys, is going to be from Brian Hudson. And he says, we're talking about the Sark defensive line connections, but how much influence does Sark give PK to make the defensive line coach decision? That could be a piece. That could be a piece of it, too. Certainly. Um, absolutely. I just don't know what it, I don't know how it would work, but that could be a piece of it as well. And then talking about the linebacker coach, Croson, Croson ITA says, is the new coach already in Austin and working? I don't know that he's in Austin. Um, the coaches were actually out most of this week. So they, they took a little bit of, uh, because they didn't have anything going on internally. Uh, and the players don't get back until I think tomorrow is, or the 14th. So Sunday uh, when they're set to, to return. Um, the coaches actually took some time off, went and visited family, et cetera. Um, and so most of the coaches were not in the office this week. They were off visiting family because they didn't have chance to really have a Christmas, right? Um, and so I don't know if he's in Austin, but certainly on his way. Uh, the coaches were spread out, though, largely. Hey, Bobby. Oh, go ahead, CJ. Sorry. Were you I was saying? just going to say that. First week on the job with the junior day as loaded as it is, it's going to be a a, a, hit, a very quick welcome to Texas moment for Johnny Nance in, in the sense of you know the, the recruiting intrigue and obviously impact that they will have for the 2025 class moving forward. Um, we've had a lot of questions about Ryan Williams. Obviously, Williams, the five-star wide receiver that reclassified to 24 uh, – and was committed to Alabama. Then the Saban news dropped. Obviously, he decommitted a few minutes later, or about an hour, I guess, later. But lots of questions. Jeff C13 says, is there a front runner for Ryan Williams with Saban's retirement? But I'm going to follow that up, Bobby, with this one from Champ Bailey 3. Should Texas and Auburn be worried about AM when it comes to the Ryan Williams recruitment? He's an early graduate. When does he have to make a decision? Um I, uh, I, he doesn't have to make a decision until he enrolls. So you actually don't have to sign a letter of intent on signing day. Um, and a lot of these reclass guys don't do that for that particular reason, because it takes them longer to make a decision. They haven't really been uh, thinking about it as much. Uh, what I would say, uh, Blake, uh, about this and, and CJ, uh, he is visiting Texas A&M this weekend. That's where Alabama's wide receiver coach, Holman Wiggins just took the job there. So that's one piece of it. The second piece of it is he's still visiting Texas on the 27th. He's still visiting Auburn in the first week of February. So those are the teams uh, that are, are really involved. Alabama right now, he may he may visit there depending on whether or not they have a head coach. I mean, that that's kind of the dependency there. Um, I'm being told that right now, Texas and Auburn are the two teams to beat, given the, the the loss not only of Nick Saban, but also Holman Wiggins. Obviously, Texas A&M is going to try to cloudy that up this weekend. Uh, interestingly, CJ, KJ Lacey, his high school teammate, is going to be playing in a seven-on-seven -seven tournament in Austin, in the Austin area this weekend that you're going to be at. So you, you look all of that up, and we're, we're still trying to figure it all out as well. But I do think... The odds yesterday went up of Ryan Williams going to Texas. If you're looking for a silver lining about this, uh, the odds probably went from uh, one in five to maybe two or three in five. 
So 40 to 60%, I would say. Overnight. Uh, yeah. On the, on the note of Ryan Williams, having spoken with him just a little bit down in Orlando last week, uh, he made it pretty clear that he committed to Alabama for Nick Saban. While his relationship with Holman Wiggins, he said, was pretty good, I don't think that was the entire reason why he wanted to go to Alabama. As we've talked about with a number of these kids that commit to Nick Saban in Alabama, it's to play for the system and machine that was Alabama at the time. Like you said, it's going to be an Auburn-Texas decision here. Uh, this is prior to the visit to College Station. Uh, but I wouldn't say necessarily the the idea of playing for Holman Wiggins was the, the overriding factor to commit to Alabama in the first place. Um, and again, he was a big fan of Sarkeesian, called him an offensive mastermind in the time that I talked to him. So that's something to watch there. But uh, I, I do have to be a little cautious in the win there. Um, he was very close to flipping to Auburn prior to that trip down to, to Orlando. I don't know if a lot has changed since then. Auburn certainly has two other five stars committed at the wide receiver position in the 2024 class. And like you said, Bobby, just hosted four uh, portal transfer wide receivers last week as well. So they're very active right now, and I'm sure that's something that is in consideration for Ryan Williams and his camp when making these final visits. All right, so this next, excuse me, this next question is from Jacob Smith. He says, how is it decided who recruits what players? Is it strictly position coach recruits that position? Or do you have big guns, for lack of a better term, that recruit the top targets? It's both. Yep. It's not just one or the other. Uh, for example, uh, Jeff Banks has uh, his, his fingers in a lot of big-time recruitments for, for the Longhorns. So even though he's the tight ends coach, he's helping recruit Colin Simmons, right? Now, obviously, Pete Krakowski is the edge coach. He's he's recruiting him as well. But really, Steve Sarkeesian's the one primary recruiter of a guy like Colin Simmons. So they do it a number of different ways. It's called an overlap recruiting strategy. It kind of got started when uh, the recruiting process got accelerated from high school senior evaluation to high school junior and sophomore evaluation, then you could take all of the top running backs and you would know about them before they even entered their senior year. So your running back coach could go see all of them, right? And then you also have your area recruiter oversee them. You have your head coach oversee it. Uh, it's an overlap strategy that started around 10 to 15 years ago. And then we have a question here from Russ Swaim. And Russ says, it's going to be interesting to see who are the next great coaches. Who do you think are in that next wave? I think we've been kind of listing them off, you know, kind of frequently in, the, in terms of this Alabama search. I think Kalen DeBoer's in that conversation. Uh, Dan Lanning, I, I, have, I am very high on what he's been able to do so far at Oregon. Uh, Sarkeesian going to his first college football playoff um, you know, appearance this year. Uh, it, it obviously points now to Kirby Smart having been that, you know, incumbent to the throne, if you will. So it, it, it is kind of pointing to him as that next great two championships already under his belt. Only one loss in the last three years. It looks like he's going to be that guy that everybody's going to be striving to, to, to take down and upseat. So uh, those are some of the names that I see right now. There, there are plenty of others. Um, I'm not sure, you know, if you consider Mike Norvell to be a new coach, but he certainly 
in that that kind of position right now to be up against you know the best of the best in the country every single year. So it, it's a new era of college football, and you know, I mean, there's a lot of ground and real estate for you know Steve Sarkeesian to go out and try and capture in terms of a national uh, presence with Nick Saban no longer you know man in the crimson and and, and cream over in in Alabama. All right, guys, this next question from Dax Kim. Bobby, we'll let you answer this one. He says, can players jump to the portal if a position coach leaves? Not a position coach, but they can if a head coach. So Alabama's got 30 guy, got 30 days to be in the portal. Alabama football players can, can transfer for the next 30 days in the portal. Hey. Big, it's big. I mean, head coach leaves. I mean, it's Katie bar the door in some of these places. If they really had an affinity for the head coach, I don't know if that's the case necessarily of all Alabama players. Certainly, a lot of them. My understanding was that Alabama, Alabama, and Nick Saban said, "Hey, take 24, 48 hours before you even start to think about what you want to do." Um, and so, I don't expect a mad dash to the portal for some Alabama players um, at this point. I, I think that's that's you know fool's fool's gold. Now. Once they name a new coach and and or have a meeting with that coach, that's a different story. Hey, I got to clear something up because I've seen this brought up a few times. So, and we had this conversation a week or two ago when we were talking about Trey Owens. Yeah. And Bobby, you made the comment, if yours got hurt, Arch would move to one, Trey Owens, then y'all feel would be number two behind Arch in that case. I think a lot of people misheard y'all say that and took it as Arch would somehow jump to three and Trey Owens would jump to two and, and did completely miss the part if Ewers got hurt. Well, it's, it's brought up in the chat now. It's been brought up a few times over the past week since that conversation has taken place. But what Bobby and CJ were saying was if Ewers got hurt, Arch would be one and then Trey would be two. Not Trey is going to be better and immediately jump Arch and he's going to be two. The caveat in that was if yours got hurt. So I just want to clear that up because I've seen this happen a few times and right, it, it's happening right now in the chat. So I, I just thought it'd be better to clear that up real quick. Gotcha. I, I think, uh, you know, we're about done here today, but I want to reiterate waiting on Jamari Caldwell still do not have a good feeling for that one right now for Texas University of Houston uh, transfer waiting on CJ Daniels, the wide receiver. Uh, and, uh, you know, Silas Bolden and Kendrick Blackshire, the wide receiver out of Oregon State and the linebacker out of Alabama, both expected to visit this weekend. Bolden is not a midterm guy for Texas. He'd be a, a summertime enrollee. Uh, and then we're also waiting on Jade Barron uh, and his decision. Uh, so whether to stay or go, also waiting to hear from all these defensive linemen that Bo Davis recruited. And then the macro, those are all minor or micro discussions, right? They're all impactful to the University of Texas. The macro discussion is what's going on uh, at, uh, at the, at, with Steve Sarkeesian. You know, is he a candidate or not at Alabama? And that, that we cannot answer uh, with any conclusiveness right now. Uh, the odds have changed just a little bit for Dan Lanning. I think I said they were negative 200 a second ago. They brought down to negative 125. Everything else is the exact same. So it's 
going to be a interesting, interesting day. Lots of speculation, I'm sure, going to be going around. Of course, if anything's breaking happens, we'll have you covered right here on On Texas Football. But, Bobby, tell folks what they can Hey, wait, do. I got to say one more thing. Yeah. When Mac Brown was let go, Charlie Strong was the favorite in the Las Vegas odds to get the job at Texas. So, to your point about Las Vegas odds, having an idea of what's going on, what you talked about with Jimbo Fisher, the most likely to be fired yep. first. Yeah. But Las Vegas has an idea. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. They're not they money for a reason. <laughs> yeah. They're not uninformed. <laughs> okay. Well, Bobby, tell folks what they can expect later today, right here on, on Texas football. If nothing breaks. Yeah, yeah. If nothing big breaks. <laughs> uh, certainly uh, Bob Shipley, coach Bob Shipley and Rod Babers get together. They're going to talk a little bit uh, of a, uh, uh, football theory. I think they're going to tackle the secondary today uh, because Jade Barron uh, and his decision loom large on the Texas football team next year. Uh, that's that's going to be discussed. Uh, we're also going to be monitoring all of these uh, other issues uh, as of right now. Um, you know, we'll see what all happens. You know, uh, from here and what what goes on uh, as 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 we go forward in this. Uh, process a lot of different pieces to the puzzle right now all right joel we want to thank everybody for tuning in got to thank rick valvaro and austin underground manscaped as well special thanks to david farenthold for joining us uh today right here on coffee and football be sure to go check out remember i put his story link in the chat and then go check out his podcast that he did on nil collective you can find it on youtube but for tj vogel and bobby burton i'm blake monroe and we'll see you tomorrow morning if nothing happens, of course. Yeah, keep your ears, ears peeled. Hook them. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.